Welcome to Life Quest Liberty, live in-depth conversations with today's top writers, editors, and spiritual leaders concerning religious freedom around the world. On today's broadcast, we'll examine local and international factors that may be impacting your right to worship and obey God as your conscience dictates. I'm your Life Quest Liberty host, Charles Mills. Today's program is of special interest to me personally because the location of the story you're about to hear is set in a country in which I used to live. Lebanon is a jewel of a nation situated at the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea, just above Israel, and bordered to the east and north by Syria. But like many things of great value, Lebanon had to be refined, this time by fire. Lingensteed, editor of Liberty Magazine, is here to share with us the story of one man who was not only part of the nation, but part of the fire as well. Lincoln, the time is yours. Well, what's put me to mind of this, and obviously, Charles, you and I have passingly mentioned Lebanon a number of times. You were based in Beirut as a missionary's son, right? Yes, I was. So I've got this really good first-person story, an article by an Ellie Michael Nasrallah. He's an emigre from Lebanon, living in Canada, but he's written the most moving, I think, account of his experiences there as a young man before he left and made a life for himself in Canada. But he gave a statistic that really explains a lot of what I've wondered about over the years. Why did Lebanon become such a flashpoint for the Middle East? He says, latest estimates and things have changed over the years, but the even up to the present, Lebanon is 66% Muslim and 33% Christian. It's a far more diverse, and particularly between Christians and Muslims, a more uh, balanced, if you can use the two-to-one figure as a balance, a balanced population between Christians and Muslims. Most of the Middle East, it's overwhelmingly Muslim. Yes. Egypt, I think, is probably the next largest minority of Christians. Estimates that I've seen vary widely between as low as 5%, but as no higher than maybe 15 or 20% mm-hmm. for the Coptic Christians in Egypt. But then, then it just goes downhill quickly. So while Christianity began in the Middle East, they're a distinct small minority in most countries. But Lebanon, they were uh, significant and, of course, held the key to the power structure. And as the Middle East became disrupted by Islamic activism, starting, as you know, with, I think, the goad of the Palestine Liberation Organization, which was not religious per se, but distinctly anti-Israel, things started to heat up. But anyhow, let me share with my listeners. I just love the introduction. He says, my village, Kafar Mishki, sits on a plain hill overlooking Mount Hermon, Legend has it that the relics of Noah's ship are present on top of the mountain in the eastern part of Lebanon. It is a place where the ghosts of history and the caravans of immigrants and fearful Christians tell stories bound to make you weep. Mm. There are stories of famine and ethnic cleansing mixed with religious revenge and blood. Stories of burned church and villages, tales of dreams of the sea and aching feelings of reaching Europe, America, Canada, or any safe haven. Mm, 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 to me, that's that's heavy my. stuff. But uh, the story that Ellie tells is something amazing. Growing up in this place, he said there was threats. One of the more egregious phenomena is, he says, the flying barricades, mm. 
where the militias would go from place to place, stopping ordinary citizens in the street, inspecting their identity cards and killing them on the spot because of their religious sect, political affiliation, or whatever arbitrary reason the militias deemed was just cause. What years is he talking about? 75 to 80. 75 to 80, okay, all right, yeah. When were you there? I was there 66 to 70. I saw the beginnings of this, yeah. yeah. And uh, from all that I can pick up, while Syria burns and, you know, there's other agitations in the Middle East, that Lebanon is on the boil again. And likely when Syria dies down, or even if it doesn't, but I think especially if it dies down, I think we'll suddenly see Lebanon go ballistic again. And he tells the story. To me, it's powerful. He said when he was an adolescent in high school, in the 70s, he said, he decided to hitchhike from his town to the school that he attended in a nearby city. And uh, a tough-looking guy stopped the car when he was hitchhiking and uh, said, where, where are you going? So he gave the name of the town, and he nodded his head and said, yeah, I can take you. And so he got in, and then he asked him the question, where are you from? And he says, as you well remember, I'm sure, that question in Lebanon is a code word or a code language to discover your religion. Because very often your town will explain all, because the old world and the Middle East is part of the old world. It's the oldest world. (laughs) The settlements are often all of the same religion. And and more than that, which I saw in, in Europe, parts of Europe and in the Middle East, a whole town might be dedicated to growing olives or growing another one to figs or mm. or in Europe you see rapeseed in one. Then another, in Spain, I remember whole towns are growing uh, almonds and making uh, nougat. And then you drive five miles and everyone's growing tomatoes. Right. It's amazing. Mm. So uh, very easy to tell from your town your whole life story. And uh, the guy didn't say very much, but they drove. And then he stopped and by the way, he said that the town he, he uh, stated was a Christian city, but they stopped along the way in a Muslim town, and the driver said, I'll be just a minute. And he said that minute lasted an hour. And all the time he was sitting alone in the strange car, and he saw the men buzzing with discussion and looking at him periodically. He says, on one occasion, a young man, tall young man came and tried to get into the car, and the others beckoned back at him, and he disappeared. In fact, twice he said this young man appeared. And then he said, suddenly the driver came out of the cafe and said, get out of the car and uh, find your own way there. And he said, I felt like I'd been given a second chance. I was the lucky one. I had been spared. And uh, this was one of the episodes that led directly to him leaving his own native land, which is worth mentioning in this whole current debate about immigration. Most people, even the very poor in a country, will not upstakes, leave family, leave all of their familiar surroundings and go anywhere else unless they're at the very end of their tether. It's the most desperate act of someone. And, And I wish that were more understood by the United States, not to let everyone in, but to certainly be charitable toward these people as a block. We think it's a career move. We think it's something they yes. just decided on a whim. It's not. No. And, and even the ones that get in successfully from Mexico, as it was with the Chinese hundreds of years ago at the beginning of the U.S., it's a horrible thing. They come, they work, their family's behind, 
They may not see them again for years, if ever. They're sending some of their money back to support the family in poverty or in a desperate situation. What a life. And they know that as they head off on that. Again, these are acts of desperation and of total dislocation, not, as you say, a career move or a move of convenience. Rarely, rarely. Of course, mixed in among anything. There are aberrant stories. There are drug cartels that are manipulating these poor people. I often said that, you know, if if we let 100 people in from Canada, we're going to find some bad people in there, too. 100 people from anywhere. Anywhere, absolutely. You know the cross-section. Although, again, it's been said on, quote, liberal media many, many times and ignored by some of the uh, more right-wing demagogues. But the statistics are very plain that illegals in the U.S., but I put it anywhere, illegals anywhere, are less prone to the normal acts of violence and of criminal activity than than others. They don't want to be noticed. (laughs) (laughs) They want to be accepted. All of the pressures of the situation and the logic of their plight means that they're much more law-abiding. There's a lot of very sad things. But anyhow... This story, you know, I think this is a a wonderful personal tale, yesterday's tale, but it's happening today to other people. And he refers in this article to the fact that the Christians of Syria, Iraq, Lebanon, and Egypt are undergoing this historic depletion of their presence and of their uh, historical roots. They're being ripped violently from a context, something that they don't want. The loss of ancient communities, that's how it's been characterized. And I've said on this program over and over again, we need to be prayerful on behalf of them and sympathetic to what's happening. Almost a wholesale expulsion of Christians in this case, but religious liberty, of course, all groups somewhere are being persecuted, you know, all religious factions, not just Christians. But in the Middle East, Christians particularly are being systematically brutalized and chased away. Hmm. You know, as you read that introduction that he wrote, I've stood on the hillsides down there in that very spot, and I, I just could see in my mind's eye what he was describing. And I recognized something, even as you were saying it, that it's not the land. The land is not full. There's room for everyone. What's not full is the hearts of the people. They have empty hearts. We have hearts in people that are not willing to accept anything other than their own beliefs, their own ways of doing things, their own history, their own sense of morality. And that makes the land empty itself. That makes our whole lives empty, our hearts empty. We need to really learn to fill our hearts and our lands with people of varying backgrounds to make it all full. Am I on the right track saying that? Yeah. I thought of this the other night. Just a couple of days ago, I was flying back from the West Coast, and I was looking out there, and it struck me at night how the vastness of country and by the lights, people are not overflowing the land. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> there were huge swathes, many minutes long, where there was not a single not light a single that I could light. see on the ground. Yeah. It doesn't mean no one was there, but it meant not any significant settlements of people. Yeah. So it's an empty land. It's empty land. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we all know inherently that that statement was more prejudiced than, yes. than realistic, but yeah. still... Some people take it literally, and that's very unfortunate. We're not full. We might, for, for practical reasons, need to limit. I mean, of course, you can't take everyone and everything at all times. There's destabilizing elements. But we shouldn't encourage that view. 
the Bible is very plain that, that the stranger is to be welcomed, especially the stranger in need. And the Middle East and, and the society that Muslims came from was characterized in the desert, which was a harsh, violent sort of a, a scenario there. But if a, a stranger turned up and needed help, you welcome them in. Yes. Even if they, you saw them inherently as an enemy, the hospitality was demanded of you. And the Bible says that... Uh, yeah, some people have entertained angels unawares. Well, you know, if you've done it unto children or the immigrant or the needy or the poor, you've done it unto me. So that's a good lesson for us to learn right from Lebanon. Many dispossessed, many wandering people in the world that have no place anymore. And, and as this program reminds us, I think, so often that's because of their religious views. That's so often because of a spiritual difference with other people. And if it's a spiritual difference... Part of the solution has to be a spiritual affinity and a uh, reaching out for a deeply moral reason, not just because it's convenient. Mm. Perfect conclusion. Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine. Lincoln, thank you so much. Always a pleasure. And listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Lincoln Steed inviting you to rest in the freedom of God's love. Goodbye, everyone. If you'd like more information about LifeQuest Liberty, call 443-391-7258 or email us through our website at libertymagazine.org. Join us again next week at the same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of liberty burning in your heart today. Today.